This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. There are many explorers who over time have fallen between the cracks of history. Those who blend into a particular narrative that may not fit the status quo of our established historical past. These explorers turn up in the pages of great mythologies and tales of adventure and sacrifice, harrowing missions, reaching for a new world. 512 AD, somewhere in the North Atlantic. Freezing cold waves crashed over the deck of the Kurak as the men inside huddled and hung on for their lives. The sea thrashed violently, yet their small and sturdy vessel was holding strong, staying upright through the massive swells. It was a journey prompted by faith, and a mission to discover a paradise and spread the word of their savior. Saint Brendan was embarking on a voyage that none had thought possible. When the winds receded into calm waters, Saint Brendan and the monks took stock of their surroundings, as they witnessed things thought only to reside in one's imagination. Towering crystal pillars afloat in the waters of the vast expanse that lay before them. When they finally reached land and navigated further, the monks would write of other encounters. Great giants who spat fireballs towards their ship as they approached, and massive sheep greater in size than an oxen scaling the hillside. After seven long years, the monks would indeed reach their paradise, and after several years more, their tales would once again return to the shores of the British Isles. But did the journey of St. Brendan actually take place? Or perhaps this legend was born out of an even earlier epic quest? Join us on Into the Portal for a new adventure, as we investigate the legends and evidence of lesser-known travelers, ancient Irish and Celtic explorers. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back. Here we are. Part two. Part two of our, it's sort of a, it's a combination of a pre-Columbian exploration series and just straight up ancient explorers as well, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, we're we're really excited to get into this one because we're, we're, we think we're kind of going different directions that people wouldn't expect necessarily with this kind Mm. of subject area. And that's why we wanted to do the ancient Chinese explorers for the part one. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we probably missed a couple of things too, because these subjects are so detailed. So we've actually talked about maybe doing a uh, kind of a bonus app where we can follow up on some of these things. Perhaps, yeah, because we definitely have had some great feedback from some of our listeners and it, it, I think maybe to do it more justice. 
definitely. little bonus that might sure. be needed. Yeah, there's some other but evidence I to follow But I think we up. should get through this a second part and then kind of, like, tally up all the different definitely. things that we would want to just, like, yeah. wrap up and make sure there's no loose ends Indeed. involved. We can't have loose ends. But before we get started today, we do have a, a new review, and Ooh. I wanted to read it out. So this is from uh, iTunes, and it's from the uh, Australian iTunes. <laughs> Sweet. So this is from Epion1976. So it's a five-star review. It reads, I have listened to other podcasts in the same field and found them to be a bit dull. Great subject matter, but boring to listen to. Into the Portal is totally the opposite. I enjoy listening to them. They do good research on awesome subjects, especially the ones on cryptids and lost civilizations. And being an Aussie, I loved the Bunyip episode and never actually thought of it as a cryptid. I look forward to every episode and can't wait until the next. Thanks, guys. Cool. So thank you so much, man. That uh, that Epion1976, that is awesome thank you so much and keep those reviews coming in everybody it really helps the show more than you know so itunes apple podcast app facebook wherever you can leave a review makes our day it really does yeah that's so sweet of him (laughs) the bunyip hey that's interesting how he's like talking about how he never really considered that to be a cryptid Mm -hmm. i wonder what he suppose it could be a her as well i don't know why i just think it's a her it's not i don't know why but (laughs) i guess maybe i get that like because I never really thought of Ogopogo as a cryptid growing up. Yeah. Like, I just thought of it as, like, you know, just that friendly guy in the lake kind of thing. When and it's around where you live, it's one of those things, right? Like, it doesn't... It's it, not, It's not like the Mothman. No, it's, it's not like, It's not super obscure. It's spooky to, thing right. or whatever. Totally. But yeah, that's, a, that's so awesome, though. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, all so. right, so today... We're going west. We are. Sort of. Kind of. Well, we're, we're <laughs> sort of west because we're talking about European cultures. Yeah. Um, and they're looking to the west. So in that right. sense, we're going west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously like with western cultures, I guess. like Yeah. Eastern, western or, European. Right, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've got two legends for you folks today. Mm-hmm. The first. I love just... <laughs> I love the header we put for this one. <laughs> that was all you, Andrew. <laughs> like when I was like, "Whoa!" Like I feel like that's why like, did I put that like that? I don't know why. I, don't I know. titled the beginning of this of our document here the Irish Connection. I love it. <laughs> Sweet. It's like the French Connection. It's like sounds yeah. like totally badass. Yeah. It reminded me of um, Pink Panther. Yeah. Well, yeah. The French, French connection, connection, the mob, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Anyway, even though that has nothing to do with what we are going to talk about today. We just love Pink Panther. Yeah. Not the Steve Martin ones. No, the, the originals, originals with, uh, um, oh my gosh, Peter Sellers. Yes. Yeah. Sellers. Yeah. Great movies, great movies. Mm. So yeah, we are kind of, yeah, there's two legends we're working with, and I guess, here, why don't you, why don't you introduce this one, Amber? The first one. Yes. Okay. Because this is uh, definitely a broader legend that was adopted in many different European um, subcultures across the continent and on uh, in the British Isles, that type of thing. And uh, there's uh, there's so many different versions of it that it's basically impossible to track down the original. But there's two. Well, there's two main versions of it, right? And you're gonna get into that more so, but. Right. Basically, this originates from what is called an Imram. So it's kind of like a class of, I don't want to call it folk tales or fairy tales, but kind of like that, where it's like old Irish tales. And they it, it basically centers around a hero's epic journey to what's called the other world. Right, okay. So very cool mythic elements for sure. 
Um, it was written in a Christian era, so it ha- it's written from a Christian perspective, even though there are elements of sort of like Irish pagan mythology in a lot of it, but like, and the things like, okay, so main elements here. Generally, the hero journeys westward, he follows the track of the sun through the sky, and he encounters all sorts of crazy things, dragons, um, sirens, like, you know, all sorts of, like, dangers, death, and monsters despair, and monsters, things, yeah. exactly. And so, basically, these stories go that only the true hero can re- traverse these perils and find what is usually referred to as Eden, or Elysium, or the other world. Gotcha. So, definitely not confined to just the Irish. Um, it was brought up in Homer's epic tales, in ancient Greece, in Egypt. One that sort of struck me in particular when I was doing some preliminary research was um, the uh, the tale of Osiris, right? Tracking through the yeah, sun. Yeah. And then he goes into the duat, the underworld. And so that's, again, just one version of this sort of... Um, the journey. Exactly. The yeah. classic quintessential hero's journey. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I get, like, the sun natural elements had a lot of inspiration in these legends. Um, basically, yeah, like, the other world is almost like the realm of the gods. Like, right, I'm, I'm, right. I'm picturing, like, you know, like, Hercules, that type of thing. Um, yeah. It's so, so cool really how these cool. things cross over culturally, right? I mean, like we, like, like we just said, like, we, this came up in the Osiris Shaft yeah. episode and multiple others as well, and it just kind of cycles through history. But the, the interesting thing is to kind of look at it and be like, okay, there's these similar archetypes or themes mm-hmm. or whatever, but what aspects of them are unique to each kind of, uh, you know, category, right? Because we're looking at an Irish legend here Mm -hmm. and Welsh. And what parts of it could be true? Or what parts of it could be leaning towards true, right? And you have to wonder, too, like... Sure, maybe, yeah. There, There's obviously, like, exactly this, these archetypes, these quintessential narratives. And what if, yeah, like, there is the reality that sort of coincides and exists in a parallel and then is sort of adopted? Because a lot of this was in oral tradition. Yeah. It was passed down through bards. It was passed down through, yeah, oral storytelling. And so you have to wonder if, yeah, once these people die, like the St. Brennan that we're going to talk about, mm. uh, if he's sort of memorialized through these epic poems and tales and if they were based on his actual exploits like how much of it how much of it bleeds into myth and how much of it is actual how much is embellished and what was it based on yeah exactly so i think it's about time that we introduce this guy then yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think it is so that's basically so like what what you just went over amber is like the yeah the 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 structure of the legend right and how it's the backdrop the backdrop of Mm -hmm. the legend and essentially this is just one story but it's what became one of the most famous ones um it's kind of more obscure now which is funny we were talking about this the other day right yeah and it is the tale of the legendary saint brendan Mm -hmm. so but like yeah we were talking about this earlier how we wanted to pick stories for ancient explorers and pre-Columbian exchange that people wouldn't necessarily talk about all the time. And people have talked, obviously, ancient Chinese, ancient Irish mm-hmm. are definitely, they come up, but they're not like the dominant pre-Columbian no. theories that people talk about. Definitely so, what I think of is more so like the North side of things, the Vikings, like that feels like the most proven. Yeah, definitely. Like up North. And then I feel like when, I, when I'm researching anyway, the dominant one that comes up for more South American stuff is just looking at like um, Polynesian or whatever mm. um, travelers, you know, island hoppers basically oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, with their big dugout canoes and stuff like that, but right. not necessarily, you know, ancient Egyptians or Romans or 
anything like that. But we found the legend of Brendan to just be absolutely fascinating. And oh, this yeah. is essentially how it goes. So the legend goes that according to a then yeah, fifteen hundred year old Irish tale that we were just talking about. What is it called? The Imram? Yeah, an Imram. Imrama. It's just like a it's a traditional um like folk tale telling. Right. <laughs> I totally butchered that. <laughs> yeah. But just like a an epic um story right. format. So this is just one, for, just to be clear as well, this is just one version of the story, but this is probably the most dominant version. It's around mm-hmm. a 1,500-year-old Irish tale. St. Brendan embarked on one of the most epic journeys in Irish history, probably in world history, if it actually happened. <laughs> it was in the winter of his 93-year-old life, Oy. according to this one version of the story. So, very, very old man yeah. embarking on quite an epic journey, huh. but of course he has God on his side. <laughs> Because he's Saint Brendan, right? Very true. No, I mean really, right? They were. You said that. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's what he was thinking, oh right? My God. So, the crew size was varied between 18 to 120 in some accounts. I've actually seen up to 156. Okay. In others, yeah. So we don't actually know the size of his boat, but essentially the story goes that he embarked on a journey that was just. Oh wait, where did he leave from? So he embarked. Up, 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 up. <clears throat> The rugged well, he had he had a almost like a spiritual experience before he left, right, right, right? right? And he basically sat up. The story I heard was that he he was up on this like mountain top on this like rugged peninsula overlooking yeah, the western sea towards right. like basically facing towards North America. And he was just meditating exactly. And and, and then that's when he kind of got in his head that he needed to embark on this epic journey to Eden or Elysium or a whatever quest for the Garden of Eden or something exactly. like that. The story went that it was a seven-year journey to get to where he was going. That's, that's, that's so pretty, that's a long time. He would have been 100 years old. Not like the monks, say. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that, like, 41-year-old journey? Oh, yeah. 41 years to traverse yeah. the oceans. And, well, they went inland, too, I believe, in that. I yeah, they hoofed it, like... We're talking about it, the, the Chinese people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, <laughs> hoofed it into Colorado and stuff. Like they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they scaled all the way up to Saskatchewan in some cases. Apparently. <laughs> but yeah. Sorry, we're getting left out. <laughs> <laughs> so, but on this journey, like we said before, I mean, he encountered things that are kind of unbelievable. But some, yeah. but some aspects of the journey are believable. Ooh, and we watched that really cool. It was like a animated. It was like a fifteen minute movie oh, yeah, with was, no talking. It was strange. It was so creepy and cool, and it, I would recommend it to anyone who wants a visual interpretation of what this voyage could have looked like because mm-hmm. it's very interesting and very we'll well done. We'll post a link for it. Yeah, for sure. totally. It'll be in our resources. Yeah, I would yeah. highly recommend checking it out. It's like not claymation, but it's like paper. It's kind of like almost yes. like South Park style, where it's all cut up. Yeah. Heart, right? Yeah. And it's like, but it's really cool. It, yeah, really well done. So, but they said on this journey that Brendan encountered towering crystal pillars afloat in the oceans. Whoa. Is that an, what if that's icebergs? Oh, right? I mean, that's these what are I'm exactly yeah. right. Like, there's lots of metaphors in here. Okay. For sure, right? Because they, I mean, this is, this is, oh, sorry. And just to be clear, this was around 400 CE. Oh, right. In and around. <laughs> We should probably take Okay, that. <laughs> we probably should have mentioned that. I'm saying a 1,500-year-old Irish tale, but, like, it was in and around 400 CE, so significantly before Christopher Columbus, like, over oh, yeah. a 1,000 years before oh. Christopher Columbus, right? I, well, some people dated a little bit later. Like, the, this one, uh, there was this one article from History.com that said that Brendan died at around 577 AD. Okay, so, so that's a little bit. That's so that's still, like, 1,500 years, really. It's still way before Columbus, right? Ish. No, it's, like, a 1,000 years. And it's well yeah. before the Norse as well. Or, no, it's, it's 1,500. 
1,500. Sorry. <laughs> My math is off. I'm sitting here trying to do math. Huh? <laughs> oh, dear. It's changing into a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> math fails. Math fails. Yeah, there's no shortage of that in this house. He also spotted on this journey off on the shores sheep the size of oxen. What? Okay, so like, but what could that be? I mean, he, they're used to seeing sheep. Ooh, what if it's buffalo? Seen, what if it is? Yeah. Oh, something else. Hmm. Giants who pelted the ship with fireballs... <laughs> that smelled like rotten eggs. So what does that sound like? That sounds like sulfur. Yeah. And pe- potentially a volcano. Oh. I, I don't know. That makes I, sense. Right? Yeah. Um, Giants, what, eh? Like, yeah, like mountains. Right? I mean, it's yeah. just it's just a turn of phrase, right? Yeah. And talking birds singing, singing like, you know. Psalms. Yeah. Psalms. Psalms or palms? That's Psalms, like, palms. Psalms. I think it's Psalms. It's like the guy from the Bible. The guy. <laughs> the book of Psalms. That guy. The book of Psalms or palms or something. I don't know. It's it's P.S. And I used to know that kind of stuff. I, P.S. I we used don't to know go to Sunday school and <laughs> yeah, just P.S. Um, forgot it all. Sorry. <laughs> so he basically, yeah, the, the story got cycled back to <clears throat> Ireland, right? Like they went on this seven year journey. They, they encountered these things, Brendan and his crew, mm-hmm. and they, somebody made it back. Well, Brendan made it back. He was highly revered. That People flocked him. It was like a pilgrimage. Right, right, right. That's that's this one story, the, origi- the original one. He made it back. He would have been 107. No. Okay, this is where it gets confusing because in some legends, this is, yeah, because it's so convoluted. In some legends, there's the idea that there was an older Brendan and a younger Brendan. Right. And that the younger Brendan was actually the one that was sent. Yeah. And then he came back and then... Like he was inspired by the older Brendan and then yes. sent on this missionary journey. It was right? almost as if the way that I... <sighs> okay. So this is where we're getting into another version of the legend, which comes from this book that I kind of was peeking into. It was called The Idea of the West, and it's by this guy called Baritz. And this is a Celtic version. And so basically, it, it, it this is weird. Okay, so this is basically how it goes. It says here that <laughs> Brendan's motive in sailing was appropriately fantastic. A mysterious flower from the promised land appeared to the twelve apostles of Ireland, all of whom wanted to set out in search of that land. The lot fell to the aged Brendan of Burr, the oldest saint of Ireland. It was decided that Brendan the Younger should go, whereupon he and 158 companions set out in one boat. So that's where you get the 158 companions. Right. And that's where you get this the switch out of the Brendan. So it's it's more plausible that obviously a younger person would be sent out. That's interesting, though, hey, because it's like the the promised land. So, again, we get those references to Eden, to uh, Elysium, to all this, like, you know, like that sort of far off other world. Right. So that's where this sort of biblical element is still. And that's why they kind of, yeah, they say, like, it's steeped in Christianity and Christian mythology and all that kind of stuff. Totally. That, again, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is, like, for me, when I think about that, when I try to put myself as a when I close my eyes and try to put myself as a fly on the wall in that time period being like is there something across this great sea right mm-hmm. there there's one, it's one thing to just sit there and speculate about it it's another thing to have heard like another ancient story and and almost yeah. there is some knowledge that there is something there it's not just about going hopefully we hit something yeah. it's about they know it's an intuitive thing exactly that they know that there's a that there's an eden out there it's yeah that to me is like i love that because it's 
it's fantasy and reality. It that obviously that's the basis of legends and right. myths and all that. Yeah. But uh, just the idea, I love. Oh, that would have been so cool to live in a time where it's like we didn't know, we didn't know everything about the world, and like there was there was a place far off that you just. You know, you look to the sea. I remember, this is a really cheesy reference, but um, I used to love watching Tristan as old. <laughs> and there was always that sort of, um, at the beginning, she's always looking out to the sea and always wondering what's across. Of course, she wasn't looking west. She was looking to the British Isles, but... yeah. And then likewise, the people in the British were looking towards the... Anyway, it's just the thing. It's like, <gasps> we find this to be so profound. Like, yeah. I, it's, it's almost sometimes hard to convey. Because it it's like, is, you, have yeah. to, you have to be really into history. And we're trying to crank the history into you guys. Because, <laughs> because really, like, think about that. Think about that. Imagine being on the receiving end, too. Imagine being, yeah. you know, indigenous populations in North America. And there's stories about the, the reverse, right? There's stories about the reverse, about indigenous peoples from North America mm. actually going the other way. And tr- crossing really? the ocean the other way. Oh Maybe we'll do an episode on that. Cool. I've never actually heard of that. But just the idea that you would a picture showing up on the shore of a place that you never even knew it existed. Yeah. And you come across plants you've never seen, animals you've never seen, and humans People. you've never seen. Cultures. That don't look like you. You don't know what they're saying. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing It, it really is It's like so cool. And you know what's interesting to think just as a modern-day example the people on North Sentinel Island and that yeah. the people with no fire episode right. we covered, that's like the modern day version of yeah, that really. Pr- pretty much. They're just like, they're living on their tiny little isolated piece of land. Yeah. And everything else is just alien. Right. It's a completely different world. Yeah. That's crazy. I love that though. Yeah. And that's why we're doing this episode. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely our inspiration. That's, oh. So, okay, so in this, sorry, to continue on with this Celtic version now mm-hmm. of the legend. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so Baritz, he really goes into this idea that there is a lot of convolution around this legend. How it was told basically in every European tongue. It was so that there popular. was in every, yeah, exactly. It became one of the most widespread tales of adventure in Western Christendom. Crazy. And he actually notes that there was a remarkably similar counterpart even in Japan. So that's how far it went. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. And obviously he's very, um, he's very fluid in how he talks about these legends in the actual book, this mm-hmm. Baritz guy. But it all makes sense. It all has these common themes. It all ex- ha- has this, yeah, exploration element to it. And right. this, And the central figure. So the original version was written in Latin. I believe, right? And then it was translated into all a bunch of different European languages. Was it? Yeah. Actually, that makes sense because it didn't. The written version didn't come around until centuries much later. Until much later, much later. Exactly. but it was it was it was, written like, in, it was like 13th or 14th century, yeah, I think, something like that. Yeah. So, anyways, um, this Baritz guy, he definitely goes on to describe how there's there was a, a 27 other versions that he came up with of how St. Brendan wanted to, like, how he set about this journey, what he wanted. Basically, a lot of the themes were that he was looking for peace. He wanted to uh, remove himself from the envy and jealousies of man. Um, a place where, this is a quote from the text, over the wave voice of the strong ma- strong-maned sea and over the storm of the green-sided waves and over the mouth of the marvelous, awful, bitter ocean. Dot, dot, dot. Brandon traveled. <laughs> One of the most interesting parts of this Celtic version was the idea that... Um, <laughs> so it was a seven-year journey, so obviously there were seven Easters, so to speak. And it says here that whenever the dawn of Easter showed, 
Um, some, this is a quote, some huge sea creature would surface so that the saint and his crew could worship on its back. End quote. That was from page uh, and, and they show that in this in that little animated they do. short that we were they talking show about. it all. It's a really and cool it's, uh, little video. It's yeah, it is cool. It's strange but cool. Yeah, you gotta wonder. I mean, you can't just worship in the boat. That that was my question too. I was like, why would you like get on some crazy sea creature? Like, is this a whale we're talking about that's just like surfacing and then you're climbing on his back and then he's just like cool Maybe. with that? Like, it's like Maybe. Moby Dick, but nice. It's like taming the sea. Yeah, taming the sea. I yeah. mean. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, like you said, Andrew, uh, God is on their side. Clearly. Clearly. I mean, you got whales surfacing, and you can just hang out on their back, have a campfire, a cup of coffee, whatever, get back in the boat on your way. <laughs> That's what I loved about that video, too, is how when they end up finding the, the promised land or the new world or whatever, and they get off the boat, and they kind of walk around for a bit, and then they just get back on the boat. Yeah, and they're <laughs> just like, burp, burp, burp. Yep. It's like, okay, sweet, we saw yeah, it. Great, yeah. burp, burp, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It is really cool though because it's like we're speak. It's all in riddles essentially, right? And that's what that's what yeah. these myths and legends are. And the further back you go, the more kind of convoluted they get because we're dealing with a Latin translation into Old English, mm-hmm. then Old English translation into twenty seven European languages, and then yeah. from those twenty seven European well, languages even, into in modern day English. And even from that, right? It wouldn't have been as, as if there was one oral legend that was recorded, and then that was the no. It would have been. Pre- 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 basis, premises, basis, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the basis. Um, the basis of all of those. It would have been multiple oral traditions, simul- not simultaneously, but over time recorded and all yeah. that, and then yeah. disseminated, and then all this stuff. So, again, lots of different amalgamations, and, uh, embellishments, all this kind of stuff. Right. It makes it interesting. But the, the heart of the legend has remained the same. Exactly. Right. That he did travel to... This new world discovered all this stuff. And we will get into the route he t- possibly took, the the boat, the, exactly. all that stuff in just a minute. Totally. So, I think we should get into more of, like, the history and the origins of this legend. Like, we've yeah. already talked about how, like, yeah, basically... Oh, it says here 9th century. Sorry, that was a bit earlier than I was thinking. Hmm. Um, so, it was a 9th century Irish monk that finally put this legend to paper. And you're right, it was Latin text. Hmm. Right. Uh, it was called... Navigatio Sancti Brandani? Brandani. <laughs> Brandani. Navigatio Sancti Brandani. The Voyage of St. Brandon. Uh, it says here, this is a quote, the book was among the biggest page turners of the Middle Ages and became <laughs> so widely known that cartographers began to include paradise recorded as St. Brandon's Island on maps. Wow. That's cool. Very cool. <laughs> Wow. A page turner for the Middle Ages. A page turner. I mean, How many people were reading back then? Not the majority. Guess, yeah, just the aristocrats yeah. and all that. I almost said aristocats. Great movie. <laughs> I used to get that so confused when I was younger. I was like, what? Great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one letter, man. <laughs> one letter difference. Yeah. Um, but as for this actual... You came up with some history behind this legend, hey? Like, there was... Yeah, so, I mean, just a little bit more on Brendan. Like, and we said, we're not really sure because there's there's legends talking about how him, 93 years old, setting out, then there's Brendan the Younger, which makes a lot more sense. Like, if there was this Saint Brendan, he maybe had a mentor, or, uh, yeah, sorry, a... um, an elder. Uh, Yeah, or he was the the elder, and, or, or, yeah, or whatever. He had a prodigy, prodigy, right? Yeah. Brendan the Younger sends him along. we said prodigy at the same time. Jinx. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm I'm still going to talk. That's fine. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, we don't know if, which Brendan this is referring to, but we had a date that was Brendan was born in 484 CE. Um, that makes supposedly sense. in uh, a small place called Tralee in County Kerry in the province of Munster. Munster. So this is Southwest Ireland. Like the Munsters. Yeah, the Munster mobile. He's nice. driving around in it. Cool. So he was born. Uh, he was born among this tribe called the Altridge, hmm. and it was originally centered around uh, Tralee Bay. And uh, yeah, his, apparently his parents were named Finlung and Kara. Supposedly. But there's, but that's just it, though. There's very little secure information about this guy, and we don't really know that much about his life other than this journey, mm-hmm. and we don't know the approximate dates of his birth and death. So it's all kind of, it's like, it's just one of those things. It's like, we're fairly certain he's a real person, but it's kind of an amalgamation of potentially two or three Brendans. Huh. So... Well, Brendan's um, a pretty uh, common name. But it is said that he was well-known, though, right? Like we said. So not just for the story, but even before the actual journey itself. So that, like, he was, you know, frequently sailed the high seas and was a sailor. And the early Christians at that time were known for being good seafarers. Hmm. They had ships. They, they, you know, and we'll get into the details of the boat again. But it essentially, it was a hide boat. Using, right. using okay. skin, animal skins, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Super watertight, really well built. Mm-hmm. And they could make them in a variety of different sizes. And they were they were super, super durable. They had a very unique way of making them. Hmm. So anyway, they were seafaring people for sure. That's That was my little bit of history on the that. The seafaring And then people. again, just for a little bit of perspective, like we mentioned the Norse. So oh, yeah. the Norse were in right. North America around 1,000 CE. So, you know, so this is 400 plus years before Columbus, but this is significantly after potentially the voyages of Bre- the voyage of Brendan. Right. Okay. So, but I mean, it's still crazy if they were right. So we know that there's a Norse settlement in Newfoundland yeah. around 1000 CE. Yeah. Right. Where was that? Sorry. The, in Newfoundland. Yeah. Newfoundland, like right off uh, the North coast. The reason I wanted to include this as well, though, just to make a mention, the Vikings referred to Southern parts of like their territory in the north where they had gone to like so like they had obviously gone over through greenland made it to north america and newfoundland and stuff and they referred to the territory beneath them that they hadn't traveled to as Ireland it mitkla or greater ireland oh and that's from history.com um, interesting so the norse huh. f- potentially were aware that their that their sort of Celtic counterparts had already visited and had already gone further south than oh, they had. Okay. So I thought that was an interesting point. The plot thickens. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Kind of cool, right? That is really cool. Yeah. And really, when you think about it, sorry, <sighs> yawning. <coughs> My coffee hasn't fully taken effect. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, though, like. It's it's really plausible, and like you said, we're getting it into the, the the actual voyage, the route they would have taken, which was more of an arc. They wouldn't have gone straight across the frickin' Atlantic. They would have been island hopping, going from, yeah, exactly that, island to island. Greenland would have been a significant stopover, yep. and then managed to make their way over into, yeah, like the east coast of Canada. Yeah, and I mean, there's actually a guy who recreated this journey. Are we ready to oh. talk about... Are we talking about the Tim? Yeah, so pretty, the Tim bone? pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where that came from. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be the skin bone. That's from uh, X Files. Or, well, it's, it's not actually from X Files. I'm we so just, jealous we, of we Ryan Sprague from Somewhere in the Skies when he actually got to meet Skinner. I know. That's 
BS, man. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to be you in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to Somewhere in the Skies. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, this was really cool. So there's this guy named Tim Severin who is basically an, a researcher. He, and an Timmy author. Timmy Sevs. Okay. He became obsessed with the story of St. Brendan and wanted to basically prove that it was possible that this journey could have been made. Uh-huh. So he recreated the voyage made by Brendan and the Whoa. monks that went with him. That's epic, man. So he, and he made it. I'm just going to say right now, like, obviously we wouldn't be talking about this if he sank in the middle of the <laughs> North Atlantic. Well, we so, did mention in the, in the, or sorry, the Chinese episode, we did mention the fact that they did try and recreate that journey and they were unsuccessful because they didn't plan for termites. Dumb. Yeah. Really yeah. dumb. But anyways, yeah. So this Tim Severin, success. That's right. That's really cool. So he went to recreate the voyage and in doing so he proved a few different things. He built a traditional ship to see if it could match the same accomplishment. So this ship, like we said before, is basically a hide wrapped wood frame boat mm-hmm. and what they would do is they would take these these animal skins i'm assuming it would basically be like oxen right i would imagine it or like be the deep. biggest thing you yeah, could get like, your hands on yeah the biggest yeah. most durable hide yeah in north in ireland i don't i'm trying to think was, i mean there was definitely like there's obviously deer and like bucks horse. and stuff there's i'm trying to think it didn't actually say it didn't say horse. what type of hide it was anyway it's animal <laughs> skin, something right? that could be fake a horse a horse <laughs> 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 just Steve Harvey's face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a family, no, family feud. Family feud inside oh, no. jokes on Into the Portal. Sorry, my brain is just all over the map. It's all good. But yeah, no, they would soak these, uh, they would like soak these hides in oil. And so they would basically like become super saturated and like really durable. And then it they was would almost wrap. like, what did they call it? It was like not pickling them, but it was brining. No, it was, brining it was like them. similar to that. Yeah, it was like mm. a special sort of, uh, it was like, there was, like, a, a certain type of wood that was, like, soaked in the water, too. It was, like, oaked, like, oak-soaked water. <laughs> oak-soaked. Um, something along those lines. But it was basically just a wood frame boat wrapped in skin. And okay. the one thing about that that's really great, it's easy to repair yeah. while you're out and about. Um, unlike a wood, just a straight wood frame boat, if you crash on a rock or something, like, you're in trouble. Right? Yeah. It's harder to patch that, that type of thing. Ooh, yeah. So, you have to be really good at sewing. <laughs> Industrial sewer. Yeah. Okay, so where am I at here? So this was ba- okay. It's called wait, a wait. Kurak. Did you, did you say the, the year already for this? Nineteen seventy-six. Nineteen seventy-six. Yeah. Okay. So this was the traditional design. It was a Kurak. So he christened the boat Brendan and set off from Ireland to reach North America, and he was successful. And basically, they just island hopped. So he they went from up from. <clears throat> From Ireland, obviously. Then there's a series of <laughs> there's a series of islands that basically makes its way over to Greenland. The problem is, is that the gap from Greenland to North America is pretty significant. So that's a lot of open ocean. The argument that Tim huh. Tim Severin was basically making with is that there, it's not open ocean travel. They were able to basically okay. So they were using protected um, areas. And yeah, like they were more or less in, they were more or less inside of land at all times. Oh, well, that's comforting. Right? Yeah. Um, or at least they knew they were between two massive pieces of land. Yeah. But basically, they floated their way over, man. They, they yeah, they they had some issues with their supplies getting uh, soaked in water. So there was a few swells that came over. And because this boat was relatively small, their bags of, like, food and stuff got kind of messed up. Oh, no. um, so that's something you'd obviously be thinking about for the, the monks. You know, how would yeah. they have survived? Were they hunting seals along the way? Like, were they were they picking up food as they were traveling along the coast? That's one of the theories. 
that they could have been hunting and fishing if they stayed tight well, to the coastline. Yeah. Especially they did come across, yeah, exactly, like wildlife on these islands, sheep, oxen, giant, whatever. Giant sheep the size of oxen. Yeah. <laughs> giant sea monsters, maybe just cut a piece off the top and fry like, it up. And Yeah, the simple thing would be obviously to fish, but... Yeah. But that's, essentially, that's that's, that's one really of the best cool. pieces of proof because he this showed up. gnarly, man. Like, I'm just looking at, like, we watched a little bit of his voyage on that YouTube. He's got, like, a bit of a documentary on there. And, like, man, you would not be able to pay me to do that. No. And this guy was, like, obsessed. Like, he, he needed to prove this. Like, that's cool. That's, yeah. like, that is just the regenesis of the explorer, hey, in Definitely. this day and age. So and it was funny because titty. people basically criticized him for it, too, saying, like, <sighs> oh. Of course. Oh, you made it. Oh, you made it over. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't prove anything. It's like, what are you talking about? That just proves he, that he just did it. He so floated therefore. over in a boat made of wood and animal skins with no modern technology whatsoever, other than the fact that they're being followed just in case they, mm. so they don't die. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, that's just Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, honestly. That is really impressive. Yeah. He I, made it from Ireland to Newfoundland in a freaking skin boat. And when you think about it, too, like, people do epic epic world voyages in their yachts and stuff yeah. and in their sailboats. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not... A, yeah. No, and they've I got their people, GPSs and all this and that, but it's like... People are very dismissive of things like that. Like, of, yeah. Just, Ancient peoples. Exactly. We think we're so advanced. Mm-hmm. But really, though, I feel like our advancements have led us to dependency in, in oh, certain absolutely. ways. And, and in that sense, we have been sort of contained within those that sort of bubble of thinking. Well, think about it this way. Here's my here's my way of thinking about it. Okay. I'm we're supposedly yeah, living in an era of higher technology. If you threw me a bag of tools and a pile of wood and said build a house, not a chance. <laughs> not a hope in hell. Right? Be like a little like shanty. I, yeah, it would be like it would just be like foobar just like sleep under the pile of wood, just don't even make anything out of it. Just go underneath it. Like you know what I mean? Like those skills are gone. These yeah. people back in the day, they had like they knew how to do friends. stuff. They had to survive. They knew yeah. how to build boats. They knew how to build houses. They knew how to hunt things. If I, that's another thing too, if I had to get my supper in the woods, Oof, oh my gosh, I'd be eating bark and I'd last two and a half hours. Yeah, I'd be eating sweet grass. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like I'd be living like a Bigfoot in that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, if you could find some sweet grass, that'd be great. Yeah, some wild onions. Yeah, we're getting a little off topic here, but the point <laughs> is that people were capable of amazing things. And we still are. I think we just like to, um, yeah, we like to be naysayers and we like to hold up these conventions of history, right? And there are, it's funny, there's whole, like, YouTube channels dedicated to, like, you know, like, getting rid of Columbus Day, for example, and, like, let's rewrite these history books because, like, this is not accurate. No, and And there's so much evidence to support, I mean, not just that, not just... Irish travels, but so many, and people don't want to rewrite history books, right? No, it's a lot of money. But this uh, this voyage from Tim Severin, basically, he ended up publishing a book and an article in National Geographic about this him recreating this, and it basically you know ignited the uh, the story once again, gave it new life. So mm-hmm. we'll make sure to include that uh, that uh, documentary in our resources as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's he's written quite a few books too. Hey, about this kind of stuff. And yeah, very interesting character. And honest, he's got a lot of street cred in my books. Definitely. Like who who just does that? Like you can sit there be an armchair theorist like we like to do, but this yeah. guy actually went and did it. Yeah. So intense. Good on you. That so, kind of wraps up our uh, part one, hey, of, uh, well, part one of part two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our story um, of, uh, of Brendan. Of Brendan, yeah. 
So cool, man. Just like quick recap here. So we've got mythic elements of giant beasts and and gaseous balls of fire and <laughs> and uh, and whale. Well, not whales, but creatures surfacing sea so that monsters. Brendan can worship on its back. And and but it all does. It, it sounds fantastical in certain ways, but then in, if you it, like, you said it's turn of phrase. A lot of it is stuff that can be interpreted and, and, and like we said, it's been proven by the Severin dude. So. Yeah. Really neat. Very cool. So we're migrating got, into part. Yeah, uh, yeah. Part two. Um, you want to introduce uh, who we'll be talking about for the second legend? Well, this legend uh, comes from the Welsh, and it is the legend of Madoc. Madoc. Madoc, a Welsh prince who sailed to North America. Eleven seventy AD. That's such a badass name. I love it. And um, there's definitely a few other versions of the name, but before we get into that, we are gonna take a quick promo break from our friends at Podfix Network. So this is more gooder than podcast. Um, so much fun. They love to cover well, you'll hear it in a sec, but they do movies. So really, really cool. And Chris, he is the head of the Podfix Network. We love to be a part of this family. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So much fun. Even just recently we did um we just did a collaboration with the Fan Film Boys uh, host, Robert Jenner, mm-hmm. and he, uh, it was so much fun. It, it's this thing we're calling it, what's the name again? Oh it's my goodness. <laughs> Historical Hypocrites, Megalomaniacs, and Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, we're just going to go into sort of um, lay out the conventional story of the person and then get into the nitty gritty dirty yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, so all like politicians and people in history that you know, but you don't know the dirty, the nitty gritty stuff. So. Exactly. You think you know. Yeah, so that's a, that's a Podfix Presents series and that'll be uh, released shortly. Yeah, we'll have more details on that um, probably next week with yeah. our next episode. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, but uh, take, take a listen to uh, this promo for more Gooder Than podcast. What's up, Home Trees? It's me, Chris. And Corey. And Donnie. From the More Gooder Than Podcast. For each episode, the three of us pick a thematically similar movie. Like Dances with Wolves, The Last Samurai, and Avatar. Or Deep Impact, Armageddon, and Space Cowboys. And then duke it out until one movie is crowned most goodest. Three movies into, one movie leaves. Ironically, Thunderdome was not the winner when we tackled the Mad Max trilogy. You know why, right? I... Oh, yeah. We don't need another hero! Hey, uh, where can people find more good of them? You can find us on Twitter at MGT Podcast, our website, mgtpodcast.com, and on Instagram and Facebook at More Gooder Than. We're in iTunes slash Apple Podcast. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and any other podcatcher that you can think of. Remember, it's not just good, it's more gooder than. And we're back. Make sure you go check out some uh, more good of them if you're into some comparative movie competitions. Definitely. They really get into it, and they're it's a lot fun. of fun. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> but back to the topic of the day. Um, yeah, so we're going to dive into another legend. It comes from Wales. And so, again, same neck of the woods, but this one is a bit later. So first legend was in about the 4th to 5th century, approximately. This yeah. one um, occurs in the 12th century, yeah. so approximately 1170 AD, as I mentioned um, at the top. Right. So, yeah, this is a prince, a legendary prince, <laughs> also described as a quasi-historical figure, according to some. Okay, so similar so, to Brendan, in a sense. Exactly. Right. Bleeding into myth. 
Um, Which isn't necessarily saying it's not a real person. It's just there could be multiple people that are amalgamated into one person. Exactly. Right, so. And I'm just going to say right off the bat, there is no evidence to support this <laughs> at all. Like, no physical remains <laughs> of settlements. No. The only, the only remote piece of evidence that supports that he landed in North America is the fact of the supposedly Welsh-speaking Native Americans who were found, and I'm not sure where these Native North Americans were. I would assume it's somewhere in, like, the Mississippi area, but we're going to get into that because there are a lot of theorized places where this Welsh prince would have landed. Okay. Okay, so again, this is going to be a bit muddy as it did originate through oral traditions, through the tellings of bards, all that type of stuff again. Yeah. And wasn't recorded until the 15th century. But anyways, yeah, the story goes that Madoc was one of many, so this is like 19 sons and counting, of a really real king called Owain Gwened, Gwened, Gwened? I don't even know. Those old English words and weird sounding. Gwened. Gwened. Sure. Owain Gwened. Owain Gwened. And then at the time of Owain's death, um, there was a bloody dispute that broke out amongst his inheritors because at that time in the Welsh tradition, uh, it was divided. The kingdom was divided amongst all living relatives. Um, well, not relatives, kids. all offspring. Yeah. And it didn't even matter if they were legitimate or not. <laughs> so if it was out of wedlock, it didn't Crazy. matter. So yeah, um, 19 um, siblings. Yeah, you're going to get some uh, fratricide. Definitely. And that was exactly what happened. And so Madoc supposedly was kind of not really into that. And he set his sights on the sea. And uh, one of the earliest earliest references to Madoc's legend was in this uh, Welsh poetic form called a, oh my gosh, Cyweed? <laughs> yeah. Cyweed. Cyweed. <laughs> uh, C-Y-W-Y-D-D. And this was by a Welsh poet in the 15th century. His name was Moradud Apries. And Andrew, I'm just going to pass this off to you um, for a little excerpt Small from the poem. A little excerpt from the poem. A little uh, dramatic reading. Yeah. <laughs> Give it, it your best. Splendid Madog of Owain Gwended's line, His des- he desired not land or worldly wealth, but the sea. That's it. So he was longer. That's it. That's all he has basically, there. yeah. So he did not want, he did not want to rule. He did not want his father's wealth. Right. He didn't want any of it. He just wanted to go explore. And uh, he was tired of probably uh, assassination attempts, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> Things think. like that. And so, yeah, very similar to Brendan, hey, where he was just, he was disheartened with his sort of, his, the way they, the things be. Right. Uh, I English really well. I is English yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so he basically just set his sights on a whole new world. And he was probably inspired by, I would imagine, the stories of St. Brennan's travels, of just this idea that there is an Elysium or an Eden out there in the West, and totally. that all you need to do is go find it. Definitely. I mean, that's. The, I guess you could kind of lean on that as a possible... I mean, it's not proof in and of itself, obviously, but just the idea that, yeah, this guy was around much later than Brendan. That Mm -hmm. story would have been circulated widely, Mm -hmm. and real people were not only... I mean, he would have been literate, obviously, right? If he was Mm -hmm. the son of a, you know, wealthy whoever. He would have read it, and he would have been inspired by it. Or at least been heard it, you know? Yeah, or heard it or whatever. Yeah, it it would have been passed through. It's based on something, right? So it's like people are going to want to adventure because they're hearing a real 
the story might not be real, but it's there. It's a real... It's yeah, being told. The, the allure. Yeah. The carrot on the stick. So um, who wouldn't want to venture into the sea if you're getting you well, know, exactly. potentially assassinated or just having a crappy time? Right? So, again, like that, that poem that you read, that's like one of the earliest references, and that did come about in the 1400s, about 1450, supposedly, or somewhere in and around there. Okay. There was another, um, another publication by a guy named David Powell, and this came about in 1584. It was called the Histoire de Cambria, or of Cambria. Okay. Um, and yeah, it, it described how... <laughs> Maddox set sail from this place called Leandrio and uh, rose on sea. I don't even know. I feel like this guy was somewhat French. <laughs> yeah, some of the spelling in this is just a little bit obscure. It, it, well, rose, I don't know, anyways, that reminds me of the French. But anyways, yeah, so he basically <laughs> set his sights on exploring the Western Ocean, and he had a number of ships. So it's not like St. Brendan where he just had this one ship. Right, and Supposedly, we don't even know the size of it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we don't know what the size of the crew was. Uh, oh, actually, no, we do. It says here, this is just a Wikipedia reference, mind you, mm. says they discovered a distant and abundant land in seven, er, 1170 where about 100 men, women, and children disembarked to form a colony. Oh, okay. Interesting. And, okay, so this is where we're getting into a bit of where the heck they could have possibly landed. Right. And it kind of goes all over the map. Yeah. So a lot of people think, well, originally it was thought that he landed in Mexico, a lot of people suggest otherwise, and this is just a laundry list of places where he could have possibly landed. Let's just 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 ramble okay, so, off. Mobile, Alabama, Florida, Newfoundland, Newport, Rhode Island, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, Virginia, points of the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean, including and the mouth of the Mississippi River, and Yucatan, and Panama, <laughs> and the Isthmus of. Te- Tehuan. And the West Indies. How do you even know how to say that? Tehuantepec? Uh, Tehuantepec. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Bahamas and the West Indies and the mouth of the Amazon River. So, tons of different places. But, okay. like we said, there's not any evidence to back this up. It's just it's just the loose sort of um, folklore references and, again, like the illusions. Like, we only had one little tiny line of... of one of those sort of tales or poems or whatever. But yeah. again, I would imagine they get into all sorts of fantastical details. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get, I mean, I've got a lot to say on this, but we'll, I'm going to save it for the theories and ideas at the end. Oh, really? Yeah, because you're just going to, I think gonna, the fact that there's a million different potential places isn't necessarily a dis- disqualifier for no. the story. Well. But anyway. Yeah. So let's continue okay. on. Okay. Well, there we go. Just a little, little tidbit there. There you go. But the thing is with this legend, the interesting side of it comes about in the first wave of colonization of the New World. So, post-Columbus, and basically in the time of the Elizabethan era, where there was a lot of European political infighting over who was going to get what in North America and South America and Central America. Yeah. <laughs> in the Americas. <laughs> and so... The Maddox legend was revived and it was used as like a political tool to argue for English precedence in the New World. Yeah, right. And very fascinating. So, again, this is where it gets a whole new meaning. And obviously, the Spanish, the Portuguese were the first to arrive, and then it was just, it was just, you know, a free for all. Everyone was just trying to claim whatever. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, there was a few different figures. The most interesting was this guy, John D. But before him, there was another guy named George Peckham who recorded one of the first sort of anglicized versions of the legend. And this was in 1583. Okay. And this was called A True Report of the Late Discoveries of the Newfound Lands. (laughs) Newfound Lands. The Newfound Lands. So again, yeah, this was a document. It was sort of uh, political propaganda to support the idea of English claims in America. Okay. And and then, uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, this guy John Dee quickly followed in this guy's footsteps. He was a strong political figure in the heydays of this um, first wave of colonialism. Again, the Queen Elizabeth, she was ruling at this point. And this John Dee, he um, he used the legend in his royal treatise that was called the Title Royal, and he presented it to Queen Elizabeth and, again, argued for English precedence in the New World. He claimed that Maddock had founded a colony in the area of Florida. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense, right? Because in the in the original legend, it said that 100 men, women, and children formed this colony. So yeah, yeah. And that kind of reminds me of, like, Mystery Hill. Imagine if they were responsible for that. But anyways, that's the total side note. Yeah, and just sorry, but mis- <laughs> just so people know, Mystery Hill oh, is, sorry, is yeah. sort of, um, it's dubbed the American Stonehenge, exactly. and it's in New Hampshire. No one knows who created no. it. It is made using stonework techniques that are similar to... They date back, they, like some people argue they date back even to the ancient Minoan civilization. Okay. okay. So, so and, and some, some people think that the Minoans could have actually been the Atlanteans. Mm. Anyway. Okay, side note. But anyways, this D guy, <laughs> he could have, he was just using Maddox um, as a sort of a, a convenient sort of um, way to support his arguments. He also claimed that King Arthur had conquered the New World, that this guy Brutus of Troy from Greek mythology had conquered the conquered. New World. Conquered. I love that. Yeah. Just, conquered. Not just, not just gone there. Not conquered just, it. Yeah. Yet nobody's <laughs> ever heard of the guy. It was a pretty passive conquering. Exactly. So I did come across this article talking about D, and uh, this is just a quote from this. It was got written by a guy named Barone. Anyways, can't remember the name of the article off the top of my head. <laughs> it says here, quote, D himself was a somewhat shadowy figure whose interests moved him from the more practical interests he had in navigation, cartography, and mathematics to a more mystic, esoteric, occultist endeavor in conjuring up spirits. The former studies placed Dee in the vanguard of the scientific revolution. The latter consigned him to the realm of the mystic or Magnus. End quote. So, hmm. again, this is, I feel like we would have been friends with this guy because he bleeds into myth, he bleeds into legend, but yeah. he likes he likes his facts too, maybe, yeah. if, they, if they suit his argument. If they suit it, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but a colorful character. He kind of reminds me of someone that might have been uh, an alchemist if, if he was living in a in yeah, an earlier time. Yeah, definitely. But very, very interesting. It I, takes people like that to push the push the boundaries and push the envelope, right? Exactly. It's like you can't just accept things. No. Just just, just as they are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you gotta potentially search for other solutions. But that's that is interesting. He definitely would be uh would have uh, been a great person to interview on the show. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but the interesting thing about this and like the Maddock and, and trying to use it as a potential claim for the for the British and stuff. In Florida, like, what was the route is my question, right? Because if we're sort of thinking along the lines that Maddock would have traveled the same sort of route as St. Brendan because they're leaving from a similar location, Mm -hmm. they're not going straight across the Atlantic. That's a death sentence. No. Well, he had a fleet of ships. 
But I mean, even a fleet, like you're not just going to go dead across the sea. I would imagine it would be a very similar trajectory as Brandon. Right. Because he would have, he would have been inspired by the legends, no doubt. You know, and right. then from that. But that's just, but that, that's what I'm saying. My point is like, if, if that, if he did take the same kind of path, then Florida's a lot further away because you're up, you're coming up and then you're traveling all the way down that East coast, all the way to yeah. Florida. So it makes more sense that they would have maybe set up establishments in the middle, like not middle America, but like in the midpoint along the East coast, like maybe somewhere in, I well, mean, even in Canada. Into, right? So let's, yeah. Anyway. What were all of these different things? So, okay. But the original thought was that it was Mexico. That's even further. Yeah. That's almost, a, that's just a different route that's altogether. That's just bizarre. You would have had to gone, you would have had to have gone straight through the Gulf. Yeah. I mean. I feel like that's, look, that's the thing is with all this is like, it's, I don't have any, I, I believe that it's not the getting there that, that uh, kind of stumps me the most, right? Like even if they. It's like, why would they have stopped further along the way or, or sooner? Why would they have stopped sooner? And, but even so, even if they tried to take a certain route and got blown off course or something or hit storm hits, you end up in a, on a current that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. You could make it to a, you know, a more southerly location or whatever. Yeah. The point is that how are you, how's that story getting relayed back? Right? Like when you're that much further <laughs> away. Carrier pigeons. <laughs> Carrier pigeons. <laughs> they Actually, get they a little tired. Okay, wait, yeah, because we don't really get that end of the legend. Did they make it back? That's the thing with the Madoc legend. We just have these sort of end points and then potential but, evidence in the new world. And the, the Welsh-speaking Native Americans. Right. That's weird. Very strange. Anyway. So maybe. Well, no, that doesn't make sense because how would it have such a such a vast history in... In, uh, sorry, in, in Europe, right? And be used by these people like John Dee and all this stuff. Somebody had to have made it back, right? Yeah. That's so, but only... whether it's generations later, we don't know. Yeah. Right? Because if you set up an establishment with a hundred and hundreds of men, women, and children, essentially, maybe it's the next generation that's made it back. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So. <gasps> Very cool. I love that. Me too. It's fascinating stuff. Oh my gosh, it's so Now, I do have a few bits of potential proof. Okay. So, but this isn't, this isn't actually related to Maddox. This is kind of going back to Brendan, but just sort of in general, the Irish Celtic, Mm. you know, ancient travelers. Mm -hmm. But basically in the 1980s, there, after local residents, sorry, actually, sorry, it wasn't local residents. It was their, Oh, yeah. No, it was. So, 1980s, West Virginia, <laughs> local residents discover ancient markings and engravings on large boulders near a near st- uh, a series of strip mines in a tiny southwest Virginia community known as Dingus. I'm going to say Dingus. Dingus? <laughs> I don't really want to say... Yeah. I, like, I like that. Dingus. So, <laughs> yeah. And they were just really strange. They didn't... Um, they're essentially petroglyphs, right? Like, we've talked about those before. So they're, like, etched into the rock. Okay. But they looked really weird because they didn't resemble anything remotely similar to the Native Americans in that area. And they're really strange. So archaeologists began to take notice of it and started to research it. And essentially, they, at preliminary glance, was that they were Christian Celtic markings. So. Okay. They brought in some researchers. I've got some names here further down. I'll dig it up. Mm-hmm. But essentially... 
they were again a, a development corporation was the one who actually like pushed forward to have archaeologists take a look at them they were what? semi-buried slabs of rock that seems kind of ironic you would think that they would just be like oh you know it's just a couple rocks let's I move know, on right? and keep building i know <laughs> somebody must have been interested in it or, i guess like, they yeah. thought that it was kind of unique or something must have had some uh, celtic heritage yeah so they were semi-buried and they were resembling they showed markings resembling ancient irish letters known as the celtic Ogham. What's that? It's but just basically similar to Old English, I guess, but it's just an Irish Ooh, alphabet like okay. language, right? Mm. Then later, a few years later, late in 1988, representatives from the Irish Embassy in the U.S. actually came to view it. Mm-hmm. Um, this included the nation's Secretary of Cultural Affairs, and he actually sat down and met with an archaeologist by the name of Robert Pyle to examine these rock arm these petroglyphs. Mm. The markings appeared to be from around as early as the 8th century to the 12th century AD. So okay, this so is early. after Brendan. After Brendan. But before, but around the it same time been. as Madoc. Yeah. 12th century. So, mm-hmm. right. After the tales, so yeah, so after the tales of Brendan, but yeah, I mean, it's like, could this have been members of his group that potentially stayed, passed down knowledge and religion? Maybe this is remnants of an oral story of Irish being there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Somebody wrote it down. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, huh. this guy basically he believes it's the work of early Irish missionaries, this um Robert Pyle, and that they were that there's more slabs to be found. And then sure enough, they did. So in neighboring Wyoming, they found another set of rocks with similar markings on them. And they Crazy. had this oh, I'm missing the last name. I think it was Barry Letts, I wanted to say the name was. Barry Letts. He, Let's go Barry. He's he was a <laughs> biologist by trade, but he was also like a linguistic anthropologist. Okay. And he basically translated the inscriptions on this set of rocks as one of them at least saying, quote at the time of sunrise, a ray grazes the notch on the left side of Christmas Day, the first season of the year, the season of the blessed advent of our Savior, Lord Christ. Behold, he is born of Mary, a woman. Okay. So Very Christian. Right? So Very. Yeah. And they, they, they concluded that this was not something that was faked or something that had been, right? It was either transported so Wyoming, hey? Yeah. Wyoming, and sorry, where was the first? West Virginia. West Virginia. Now, so... Is that on the Gulf? Uh, no. So here, really? um, let me just pull up the map here. So first of all, the thing that's interesting is like West Virginia is landlocked. Okay. Um, but it is still relatively close to the ocean. Hmm. So you've got like um, just like well, Virginia, Maryland, there. Delaware is kind of very close. Got there's, Maryland. There's river systems that would extend in. Hmm. Um... So, it's not really that far off the coast. It's though. not that far off the coast, but when you're looking at the map, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, so where's Maddock Wyoming? and Brendan, you're leaving Ireland, where's Wyoming? up through the UK, you're island hopping north, then west, over towards Iceland, traveling the coast of Iceland, then making a massive, massive jump from Iceland to Greenland, uh, traveling down the coast of Greenland, crossing the Labrador Sea to Newfoundland. Then traveling down the coast of the east coast of North America to essentially right off the coast of West Virginia, then hiking inward to West Virginia. Um, did you see where Wyoming is? It's like in the other side of the country. Oh, I must have just wrote the wrong, wrong thing. <laughs> in neighboring Wyoming. <laughs> Sorry, neighboring Delaware. Oh. Is that right? Is that what I'm trying to say? Delaware, no. Let me pull this up here. 
<laughs> Wyoming's right, right under Montana. That's <laughs> like on the other side of the country. Must have just wrote the wrong thing down here. Um, neighboring. Sorry, sorry, no, no. It says neighboring is... Virginia. Sorry. Oh. It's this just next state over. Okay. It's right there. I'm like what? Sorry, Wyoming? I wrote. I totally wrote that in totally wrong. That's my bad. My mistake. What? Okay. Well, that clears up a lot of misconceptions. There we go. In neighboring Virginia, because Virginia is a coastal state. Right. So, in that case... There we go. That makes more sense. It does make a little more sense. And if you look at it, like, honestly, like, that... I'm just looking at a North America map right now, and that's not really far off. It's like, not that far off. Because if I you mean, think about it, if you are traveling along this coastline, right, and say, yeah, there is quite a big stretch between Greenland and where you would hit uh, Nova Scotia and PEI and all those, like New Brunswick and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you could potentially have interpreted, you could have totally missed um, Newfoundland, hit the Labrador Island, and then hit Nova Scotia, and then just sort of continue along that coastline. Yeah, potentially. And then then it was really just a hop, skip, and a jump to Virginia. Right. At that point. And, like, really... Yeah, like, it, it, it's funny, like, looking at it from a bird's eye angle, you're like, oh, there's a massive chunk of land right there. But if your perspective is so limited when you're on the actual surface yeah, of the ocean no, totally. that you would not be able to see that, potentially. No. So it would make sense that you just kind of, oh, man. Could you just imagine, like, yeah, you're, you're just the tip of the iceberg, and you just, like, just miss it. But you don't really, because you land in Virginia. Yeah. But very cool. Bizarre. It's it's it really is bizarre. Though, I feel to like think I need that, to like, brush up on my uh, my uh, American. <laughs> yeah, I just like the states of America and all that. Like I, you know, being yeah. in, up here in Canada, we've only got thirteen provinces <laughs> and, uh, and territories here. Yeah, yeah, you got a lot more going on down in the U.S. That's for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We're kind of at the end here, but that those were the kind of the two. The two really interesting legends. The two ones we wanted to focus on. There yeah. was definitely ones that we saw. Like, obviously, it's the most obvious would have been the Norse, but we didn't want yeah. to just go with the most obvious. There were other ones like the ancient Minoans and things that you kind of touched on a little bit in your research, hey, Andrew, but yeah. we didn't really want to. We didn't want to get too down the rabbit hole. We want to keep it succinct. And if if anyone has any information on additional cultures and histories that could have potentially traveled, and there's legends of of this North American journey or whatever. We that you want to hear. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That you've heard of, that you would love to share with us. Like, cause like we said, we're open to doing a bonus app. Um, Definitely. we love this kind of stuff. Like diving Definitely. into the fringe history, totally alt history. But, I can't believe um, I wrote down freaking Wyoming. How did that even happen? <laughs> that threw me off so bad. I was like, how did that even happen? <laughs> I don't even know. Classic Andrew move. So out of, out of Brendan and Maddox, what do you think is most plausible? Personally, I feel like I'm leaning towards the story of St. Brendan. Really? Um, because the one boat guy. Beca- the one boat guy. The one boat each guy. Just because I think that the route he took was possible is more plausible, and Tim Severin proved that. True. Right? But if, if Maddox was taking the same route and he had a fleet of ships, he could have potentially found... And it was a lot money. more recent. Well, not, <laughs> still really old, but obviously... Yeah. You know, another 600 plus years after St. Brendan. So, bet newer technologies slightly, right? Yeah. And uh, obviously, yeah, crew. I don't know. What, what do you think? I'm really on the fence. Because if Maddox had established a colony like that legend said, it easily could have been wiped out, similar to like Roanoke or whatever, you know, like where it's just say they have bad crops one year, say a disease comes comes flying through and they're just not like you know they're susceptible because they don't have immunity mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff can quickly wipe out any remnants of a civilization especially one that is 
is very prim- not I'm not going to say primitive, but just like more like temporary, like a colony type of thing. Right. Where it's not like they're building stone castles or something like that. Yeah. And what if, what if Mystery Hill could potentially be connected to either one of these, right? Totally. But again, that would be something I would love to follow up on for like a bonus app and get into the more, the more the physical evidence side because it is very mm-hmm. few and far between but i'm sure we could dig up some more if we looked around oh yeah for sure i mean yeah i i guess the the, th- the thing is is like yeah obviously like as like archaeologists or whoever i mean they need phys- you you want physical evidence you need physical evidence but the thing is is like if you're talking about very small groups of people coming over and even if it's in the neighborhood of 150 200 people you know that's we, small it's tiny and even if they tried, even if they did get an establishment s- set up and even had one or two generations of people like born mm. and raised, right, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to still be around, exactly. right? Like what if there's a, you know, whatever, a war or something, mm. right? Like with indigenous population or whatever, oh, things get wiped one, yeah. out, right? Exactly. It's I the same idea of like what happened with the Roanoke colony. Well, that, yeah. Right. There's yeah. nothing left except for the, the dare stone and, you know, and a couple other little coins and things like that. Well, it's like we find those types of things, but it's not enough physical evidence to say, hey, St. Brendan actually did make it over. Exactly. It's not like he like wrote his name on the coins. And right, then, right. And yeah. it's like, it's just the classic Brendan thing. Was here. Yeah, it's the classic thing. It's like where we need evidence, but it's like yeah. absence of evidence isn't evidence, evidence of, absence. of absence, right? And the fact that all, almost all Native American tradition is oral tradition doesn't help either because no. they're not writing it down. They're not saying, hey, exactly. look who showed up. And to think about like that was 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago even if something like this was sort of passed down through oral whatever, there's a lot of uh, fragmentary subcultures and populations and stuff. Like you, And then obviously in the wake of colonialism, a lot of those sort of subsects could have just been wiped out. And yeah, then exactly. the stories get wiped out with them and then there's nothing left. I am of That's the mind that the ancient well. Chinese and the ancient Welsh and Irish... I think it's possible that all of them could have made it. And, Absolutely. And not even known that the other had been there because it's just such a big How place. would they know? Exactly. How would you know? Like, yeah. That would be amazing, right? If you actually landed on the same shores as another culture. At like the same there. time. Could you imagine? <laughs> just like show up. It's like, that ship looks weird. And then it's just like, it's, it's, it's Zheng He coming in and then it's like Madoc coming in and it's like, <laughs> what are you guys doing here? Like, <laughs> uh, I love it. Wait a second. <laughs> I feel like that's like a far side comic. Right yeah, there. totally. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up pretty much. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say about all of this as usual. Mm-hmm. We love to get emails, feedback. You can always reach out on into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Yeah. On our socials, obviously. Like you can DM us, you can just comment you can whatever get, get on our group on our forum our yeah we uh yeah facebook forum totally group. come chat with us on facebook you can send us messages on on instagram or twitter yeah. um yeah we love talking with people about uh, different theories and what they like to listen to and stuff like that so like with this one this was actually like a listener inspired sort of mini series we wanted mm-hmm. to do on this so yeah if you guys like amber said earlier if you have any historical stories along the same lines that you really want to hear legends you've heard in the past totally and- we We will try to incorporate that into um, a bonus episode or something Mm so get at us yeah get at us and uh once again don't forget to uh rate and review the show we really appreciate it It really helps out a ton and we haven't mentioned this for a little while um but we do have our patreon up and running so it's um 
uh, patreon.com forward slash into the portal mm -hmm. and it's been sweet we've had some people join on and um yeah, we've got really our cool. first uh bonus episode is up there yeah and uh yeah so you guys can uh, go check it out and we'd love to get feedback on that as well mm -hmm. so once again thank you so much for joining us on into the portal yeah until next week Network. You can check out more shows like it at oddfixnetwork.com.